Welcome to the latest episode of the Avoiding Chores podcast. I'm your host, Jim Sear, and I talk a little about some garment, outdoor recreation, and things that I've been doing to avoid chores over the last few days. This is the dog days of summer, getting very close to the return to school, so we'll have a lot of stuff to talk about this week. let's start off with a round of Q&A's. These are comments that uh, have been left on my various YouTube channels on Garmin tutorials or other stuff. And uh, you'll get to hear my replies to this. So Just a Dude uh, commented uh, only seven hours ago on my Garmin eTrex uh, 22X, how to update the firmware. He says here, how come I only got two updates and device software is not included? So that is a couple of, if I understand the question right, basically it's two things. So one of the first things I always recommend people when they buy a device uh, is you plug it in, you learn how to do a reset, and you plug it in to do the update firmware. Because uh, as, as Garmin has been notorious the last few years and until recently, they don't put a lot of emphasis on software until after a device ships. And that means that there's a lot of updates that come up. A lot of new expensive units have little bugs. And then it's not only six to eight months later uh, that things start to look uh, pretty good. Mary, he was mentioning here, I assume he plugged it into Garmin Express. And of the updates available were probably a couple things. Uh, but the device software wasn't included or the new firmware. A uh, couple reasons. One, it could just be that you bought it when that version was flashed which is normal. Uh, the other thing too, that, that, well, actually, that is the only reason for that. Uh, their device software, there's, there's a couple different components. So you actually have the actual firmware, which will be all the, the functionality of the app. There's also a couple of GPS-related tables. One of them is the GPS chip. Another one is time zones. And another one is a language file. So you have a few different files. And they all of them don't release at the same frequency. And also, it also depends on your model number. So there could be some stuff that was 22X specific. And then if you have the 32X, you might have something on a different cadence because of the electronic compass and, and different things like that. So uh, that could be the reason for that. Troy uh, commented on my Kodiak Canvas truck uh, video here. How is it at minus 20 Fahrenheit? Uh, I only went down to uh, 5 degrees or so Celsius, which is quite a ways, uh, <laughs> quite a ways uh, from, from his uh, minus 20. I mean, it's like anything else, right? You either, depending on where you are, a lot of people will use, if they're off-grid, the Mr. Buddy propane heater or a catalytic heater, uh, which... I would not use. I would just spend the money and buy thick sleeping bags. The big issue here is you have that all, all that air underneath. So you probably want something with a lot of insulation underneath you. At least your back's not cold. Especially on my setup, I had the deck drawer system where I had basically a foot of open air underneath me. So, uh, I mean, it's just like anything else. I mean, a lot of people on YouTube, they do a lot of winter camping. There was a point, people not too long ago, that people would just march into the woods in the winter and camp overnight with just a backpack, right? So now that we've evolved under uh, truck camping, overlanding, and all that stuff, uh, it's the same principles, getting insulation and staying warm. So, yeah, that's all I got for that. 
Uh, Lawrence commented on my Vivo Active 4 unboxing. He said, you got beauty face on, which I have no idea what that means. Uh, let's move on to the next one. Uh, Rhino Games uh, comments on my DeLorme InReach, the original DeLorme InReach video. How many hours of continuous use do you get? Uh, does InReach offer updates now that they're owned by InReach or IE Garmin? So uh, I, this there's, he's talking about the hockey puck in reach the very first one the black one that uses double uh, A batteries. Uh, forget the specs; it's written in the description of the video, if not on my uh, review page on avoidingchores.com. Uh, but the the second question is: Do they do does Garmin offer updates to older in reach devices? The answer is I will say yes because. Every once in a while, I'll plug in all of my InReach devices because I have the, I don't have this, I don't have the original one anymore, but I have the SE Explorer, Explorer Plus, and SE Plus. So I got four handhelds, and I update them. I plug them into Garmin Sync, and I do a sync. And I believe there was there. I saw some updates, um, especially on the older stuff. So definitely, after a while, there will be less and less updates on the functionality, but. Uh, I would say that if there's something really critical, they would have to because there's a lot of people using those devices. And plus, Garmin will probably know right now how many of those original hockey pucks are still in service or suspended. So as long as there's people still using them, uh, I would assume that they'll still support that. Uh, another uh, Sireplan. Comments on my GPS map 62-64 area calculation video. Comments here, how to plot this area. So basically on the 62, on 64, 66, there's the area calculation app on it. And what that does is that you start anywhere, let's say you want to measure the perimeter of a property or a field or whatever to get the area. And this app basically just starts a track at your point and then you walk around it, and then you hit stop, and then that does a little bit of math, and, and then it gives you a number as to your calculation. Now you can do this without the area calculation. You can do this with any GPS device. All you need to do is no math, right? Because all these mapping uh, tools or applications, anything you do with the GPS, it relies on being able to measure a couple things. A point, segment, which is the straight line between two points, and a polygon, which is a shape, square, triangle, hexagon, circle, which is a lot of segments, right? So an area is really a polygon. You're measuring a polygon. So what you can do is you can start a new track, a new activity, whatever, go around in a circle, uh, and then you hit stop, and then you can take that GPX file. If you can't do it in the map 62, you can also bring it into any mapping software, QGIS, is the open source mapping program. I believe that you're able to do that. Uh, I'm sure you can just Google, you know, uh, GPS functions, just upload a GPX and they'll be able to calculate it. So it's not too, too bad. And I'm sure somebody wrote a tutorial how to do this manually. So, which actually, you know what? It's a pretty good question. I should probably make a note and see that that could be a, a tutorial I can do. Uh, N, simple N comments on my vivo active 3 how to adjust heart rate monitor settings 
Uh, question about the one-hour reminder to move. Is it possible to set the alarm to move every hour during the day? Thanks. Um, that is a good one. I think, I think now with the firmware, they've set it up to coincide with your bedtime hours. So if you want to go to bed, you know, if you're going to bed, let's say at 10 o'clock at night and you get up at 6, that means that at 7 a.m., one hour after you're supposed to be woken up, you'll get the uh, time to move. And I'm saying this because this is what my watch does, Vivo Acta 4 is doing. And I think this, and I don't tend to remember that having that same functionality when I briefly had the Vivo Active 3. Uh, but yeah, I think now with the firmware, I think they've, they've just been able to, to do that. Uh, so I'm going to say yes, you can. As long as you have your sleep settings set up as to when you're expected to go to bed, uh, you'll get your reminders then. Uh, and then I did a couple of uh, Mavic compilation video. I just, uh, ironically, I had um, some, during our vacation, I flew my Mavic, my uh, Mavic Mini, which is probably the only opportunity I had to really fly it almost a year that I've owned the damn thing. Anyway, uh, I uploaded a compilation of clips over those last couple weeks there. and Anyway, uh, seems like a lot of people have been buying the Mavic Mini, but uh, Steve from Outdoor Adventures, uh, he upgraded to the Mavic Air 2, and he posted a kind of a review video. He kind of just loves it. Uh, a little bit bigger in size, a little bit more stability. Works a little bit better with the wind conditions, and, and I agree with him too because he lives on the coast around North Carolina, I'm up here, and there was a comment here that, uh, from a UK, uh, Bogdan, I uh, hope to be able to fly it too, out here in the UK, and same thing, any coastal areas, you have to deal with wind, In the Mavic Mini, while great, you really gotta pay attention of the wind speed, because the more windy it is, uh, let's say, under 30 kilometers an hour, uh, after that, they don't recommend it, but anything below that, the motors are working a lot harder to keep uh, this drone in the air as opposed to a completely dead, calm uh, day where you know, you're able to maximize the flight time. So anyway, uh, that's it. Uh, one more. Did I mention this last time? Yeah, I think that's it. That's it for questions. Again, folks, if you do have a question on a Garmin, you can check out the list of tutorials I've done on GPS.training website just simply enter in your browser gps.training you'll see the complete list or if you want to browse around go to avoidingchores.com you may have to it's not as neatly organized but you'll be able to find the same content there all right i'm gonna do a rant i don't usually do this but i saw something this morning and i posted on twitter i said i'm gonna keep the rant for the podcast or live stream basically I've been going out and doing five-kilometer walker hikes uh, every day uh, just to try to get rid of this COVID body, which is getting out of control, to be quite honest. But anyway, I was in the parking lot of Second Lakes Provincial Park here in Lower Sackville. I got out, and I, there was this big billboard, and there was something posted on the billboard or bulletin board or the info of the trail that caught my attention. I said, oh, a QR code. What's this? Now, there's a lot of history that I'm going to get into here, but basically, 
Uh, I saw a QR code and with my smartphone, now you can just flash the camera and the camera recognizes the QR code and everything opens up in a point is QR code pointed to a website and the website talked about a trail. And once I started browsing through the website, I'm, like, I'm thinking, geez, this is eerily familiar to what I was trying to do uh, six, seven years ago. And then I found the about, I'm scrolling through, and I see some of the names or some of the stuff, and I'm thinking, you know, I saw some names, and that got me a little bit more agitated. And I guess I have to go back a couple years where uh, as Avoiding Chores was getting formed, uh, basically I was sitting on or I had accumulated a lot of outdoor assets uh, that could be converted into content that might be useful. So in other words, I had a lot of GPS data on hiking trails and based on my previous experience with geocaching associations and what I had learned so far with the YouTube stuff is like, you know, I just need to package this content into something that people would like on their phones because this is the phones is where it's at. So I had tried an iPhone app to try to leverage that kind of stuff, NS Trails. And then I also developed an ebook, which was more multimedia. You know, he had uh, uh, the, the GPS track overlaid on a map, which I spent hours developing a map style using GIS information, public data stuff. So he had a map, I had a breakdown of the trail, I had very uh, more icon-driven stuff, I had stuff in themes and, and all that stuff, and how I, I wrote the description and directions to the trailhead and using, basically leveraging a lot of the multimedia stuff. So if you had a connected phone with, with data, everything was there. And uh, anyway, this QR code brought to the website. So these partners, so at one point I needed partners. I needed the hiking establishment to anoint what I was doing or, or you know, try to support me or support them and do whatever. So there was a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, we tried, I tried trying to get selling the app or trying to get a support or getting a collaboration. Almost got something going. Didn't work out. Complete radio silence after a while. There was uh, um, a few other e-publications that were eerily similar to what my specific format. And basically, I used to, what I used to do was to post on these billboards QR codes to point towards the ebook. This was like six, seven years ago. So now I'm seeing it, and basically, it's these, and I'm seeing basically some names that was related to the establishment that I was trying to get things going six years ago, and where it's like they're just doing themselves. So it's like, you know, you'd rather go and get grant money to build stuff from scratch. There's stuff already built. And do I feel a little bit bitter? A little bit. I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit bitter of some of the stuff. Am I happy to see people essentially copying all the stuff that I was trying out six years ago? You know, they're doing it now? Yeah. It validates that I was on to the right thing. Now, mind you, I may have been a little bit early with a few things, but, um, but 
yeah, it just, yeah, this whole trying to build hiking eminence here in Nova Scotia was, uh, was kind of short. It wasn't quite as long. Now I got distracted with a whole bunch of different things after that, but, um, yeah, it's just unfortunate that I couldn't bring certain projects to its full potential. And a lot of stuff has potential, but the thing that I learned from that and why I started avoiding chores was basically stop relying on other people, right? If you want to do something right, you do it yourself. Or, you you know, you really got to do it. But, of course, everything takes money and, you know, you can only go so far with your time and your internal money. So that's why some of these things I was doing was just stopping after a point. But anyway. That's, that was my rant. Maybe people are like, oh, he's just bitter about a QR code? Nah, it goes a little bit more than that. I'm, I'm not the type of guy that goes into that. But but anyway, Sackville, Second Lakes. Um, nice little stuff. Uh, being a provincial park, they really got to uh, start developing some of the secondary trails that are there. Uh, they do have the parking lot and outhouse in, so that's nice. They do need to maybe do some winter maintenance. Like they need to, to have this really big area, green space, uh, that you can't really reach. You can't do nothing in it. So what's the point of going? But anyway, that's it. Man, I tell you, that was shorter. But I will have, I think I will, what I will need to do is do a full retcon history because, you know, I'm thinking back of all the shenanigans we got into, me and a few other people there trying to do things that was right and and having people that were a little bit jealous. I should do that. That was mostly during the geocaching stuff. It was good stuff. Maybe because Facebook was reminding me of certain things that were coming up, but anyway. August 15th is the day that I'm recording this segment here, and today is Acadian Day. August 15th is when we celebrate that. So for those of you who don't know, Acadians are the mostly French uh, settlers that arrived here in North America, arrived in Port Royal here in the early 1600s. And uh, they spent about 100 years on the other side of the Bay of Fundy. I think they started up in St. Croix, up in the New Brunswick side, kind of a little bitter, but then they kind of settled and thrived on the other side of the Bay of Fundy on Nova Scotia, so from Digby over way over to Wolfville. And that is where Acadians were building up. And then there were, again, Acadians going all the way around towards uh, Amherst, Moncton, kind of that area there. So, you know, there's quite a... There was nice um, settlements. There was dike systems that they put in to start maximizing the farming across the marshes, across uh, many, many, many areas. And then, uh, of course, history books around oh, 1750s, that kind of stuff. You start having the the British started to have enough of the Acadians. And the Acadians were kind of neutral. They weren't necessarily French. They were their own separate people, kind of not paying attention to stuff. They were kind of neutral, but, you know, they were supporting mostly uh, France. But anyway... British decided one day to start uh, kicking people out of the area. And this happened over a period of time. So basically, they basically rustled up people 
onto their boats, burnt everything to the ground, and then shipped them off to really crappy areas such as New Orleans, Maine, New Brunswick. Basically everywhere that you'll see Acadia. And Acadia is the French flag with the yellow star. And uh, yeah, so my, my forefathers, so people always ask, Seer, is that French? Yes, it is French. Arrived, first Seer arrived in Port Royal in 17 something something. Few years before 1755, he was there for a while. He was an armor, making armor. And then I think around the period where stuff was hitting the fan, he kind of grabbed his, his wife, I think, and uh, whatever, and got the heck out of Dodge. I think he ended up in the Amherst area for a little bit, around the marshes. And I think after that, they kind of, further generations kind of moved their way up to uh, Fredericton and followed uh, the St. John River Valley. Uh, they made it a little bit into the Quebec now area, Kamouraska and all that, but they came back down the St. John River and basically my branch settled between there, the Edmonston and Grand Falls area there and ever since. So been here for, uh, Sears been here for a while and depending on uh, the family tree branches, you check, check it out. So yeah, it all comes down to the same dude, so. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, pretty. So that's just today. So basically, the only highlight, if we were to go somewhere, is to go visit uh, Grand Parade at Wolf Hill, which is a UNESCO site. This is actually the site, uh, Parks Canada site of the actual one of the locations of the expulsions of the Acadians. Uh, I think it's a reconstructed church, and there's also uh, a spot where they actually landed and got people on the boats, the landing area, and there's a big settlement there or a cross or. So when you're visiting the Wolfville area, definitely check that out. It's definitely worthwhile to go visit, especially if you're part of the affected people, uh, like myself, that you want to find out what happened. So it's a it's pretty powerful story. All right, that's it for the episode for this week. Hopefully you found it interesting. I'll have a little bit more to talk about emergency preparedness and hurricanes next week here. People are getting up here and they want to rustle around the house, so I don't have the silence that I need to record this podcast for you. Anyway, folks, go uh, check things out on avoidingchores.com or gps.training. And uh, you can always uh, leave a comment on one of the videos or send me a message. I will always get to them. Uh, hopefully, you send it to the right one because I've noticed sometimes some of the DMs that are available via Instagram, Twitter, whatever, I don't see or see it or read it in time so don't be insulted if I don't reply ever it's 99% likely that I didn't even see it because it's something I don't check a lot so anyway uh, folks uh, hopefully you're enjoying your summer hopefully uh, we're going to be adjusting to the back uh, back to school regime pretty soon and I'll give you guys a little uh little update on my uh, TRX exercise routine, which I started uh, a couple days ago. 